You're listening to the Irish Times. It's the morning after the Super Bowl, Pat. How are you feeling? I'm tired and I'm emotional, but <laughs> not in the way that Eamon Dunphy meant. <laughs> I think we all are, uh, after the weekend in general. But I'm angry th- that I stayed up to watch the Super Bowl. I think that's my, my main feeling here. Jerry Thornley is in, Gavin Comiskey are in, Pat Nugent is here, and I'm Malachi Clark, and it's the Out of Time podcast. We're going to bring you lads in early before we talk. We'll get to the rugby in due course. Jerry, you stayed up to watch it. More or less, yeah, till virtually the bitter end. Yeah, fourth quarter, 13-3, intercept. I was thinking at a certain point, it's it's one thing to do, as you regularly do, Pat, is, you know, hate-watch the Patriots. Mm. It's another thing, you know, to hate-watch the Super Bowl, you know, kind of watch this bloody thing that's going, come on, this is usually fun, this is usually good. It's a completely other thing that by the end you hate yourself <laughs> for having been <laughs> up that all this long. It was just... It was such a grind. One of my friends messaged me last night and he was saying the NFL called this for months out where they realised they realised it was going to be a terrible Super Bowl and they played it accordingly by having Maroon 5 be the halftime show. <laughs> that's right. That they just... That they knocked, that's where I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> they tipped you over the edge, was it? Yeah. But the, the match itself gave me grim echoes of Saturday because watching the Rams fail to get up the pitch at any point and punt eight times in a row... It felt like watching Ireland on the gain line on Saturday. Was it, was, it was just, I actually, for, for a lot of last night, I was kind of going, I'm, I'm, maybe I was fooling myself. I'm going, I'm, I'm actually in here. I'm in on the, on the tension because mm. the tension was good. Mm. Like I, I, and I do enjoy watching sporting events where everything is such a big deal and like everybody is so much invested in it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not the highest quality, I enjoy watching the drama of it. Yeah, you you all you all hate the Patriots, do you? And I don't Brady particularly, but he, he does. A lot yeah. of people seem to for some reason. Is this because of their they're just winning is boring and so good, or is it because of their Trump affiliations and going to the White House or something like that, or is it? It's mainly just because of their constant success, I'm right. I'm sick. I'm, I know it's it's stunning. I appreciate that in the most socialist sport in the world for them to manage to create an empire is mm. incredible. But I'm sick of watching them winning. I'm also sick of them cheating. It's horrible to watch Julian Edelman. Uh, coming off a, a drugs ban for performance enhancing drugs and get MVP, it's uh, and nobody mention it. And nobody mention yeah. it. It's just uh, yeah, that that just stick in the craw. Yeah. yeah. Also, you're a Brady get banned for eight weeks once for deflating the ball. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they're not the most likable, but it's still it was still kind of compelling in its own way. It wasn't disposed to similar. Yeah, it's a ba- battle of the gain line, battle of the, sc- the scrimmage line. Is it? What is it? All right. <laughs> does that mean? Does that mean we've put this off long enough? Do we have to? We have to get into Saturday now, I guess. Do we? Um, it's so much achievement, isn't it? Six <laughs> Super Bowls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, hold it up, pack as long as possible. Okay. Okay. Saturday. What happened? What happened? They did bully us. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about this. Um. Like does that does that just mean now that 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 everybody knows what our what our weakness is now you know that beat the shit out of us and 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 see how we Usually respond? Put mal- yeah, um, I think that's what that's what you're going to say, Gab, isn't it? You you think that, but I would I would no, I think it's only England and New Zealand and South Africa can do it. <laughs> They're the three teams that really matter. So. Yeah, what a, and, what a, what a in, year for that to be important. And, and yet, in the eighteen winning matches, one out of nineteen in that time, Ireland have beaten all three of those sides. So it is doable. It, I know it's a bit worrying when you see 
aren't physically bullied like that across the game line and was, you know, this stat that we're all trying to... I don't remember being part of the stats before, but dominant tackles. Yeah, that was a 46-9. It was 48-8 on Saturday, revised to 46-9 yesterday. But it certainly... Um, it was quite extraordinary in the early stages. You normally expect when two teams go at it at any professional level that it's going to be an even contest across the game line for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes because both teams are just so pumped up. It's almost Especially a, at home. Yeah. It's very hard to make inroads through an opposition defence. And it's unusual to see Ireland making soak tackles so early in the game and England getting onto front foot as readily as they did for Owen Farrell to throw out that wonderful skip pass. The Irish defence just not being reset. It wasn't reset from the line-out. It wasn't reset from Billy Villanpola's offload. And Ireland just weren't quite there at the start. And it, for a long, long, most stretches of the game, it never really felt like they were going to pull their way out of this. Now, there a couple of chances to do so. And then they let the game go. Two key periods in the game. I think they got a little bit rattled as well, you know. And I thought they uh, went on trying to do the same thing. It was like John Mitchell's England defence always seemed to know what Ireland were going to be doing next. Mm. And they saw the runners coming and they double-tackled them consistently. I mean, CJ Stander, James Ryan, Bundyaki, Tyke Furlon made negligible metres from you know, like a metre per carry on average between the four of them. Mm. And that's just unusual. And that's, that's Ireland's go-forward momentum. You don't get that. They don't play so well off it. And then England also did them in the air in the kick and out-kicked them completely. Mitchell wasn't wrong last week. Sure he wasn't. You know, they, they, everybody made this big deal out of, you know, the, him saying Ireland are going to try and bore the shit out of us. There was times I was watching it on Saturday going, where's the variation here? What's, what, what are, what's the difference okay, so that's going to happen here? When, you can't, when your dominant tackles are whatever. Explain what a dominant tackle is before we go any further. When you go backwards or you don't get over the gain line. Yeah. Okay. Well, simply you get smashed. End of story. The story. Uh, when, when all of this was happening, I kept thinking about um, what Steve Hansen said back in uh, November, the last thing he said before he left Dublin. He goes, let's see how Ireland deal with being favourites now. And Schmidt said it afterwards. He goes, there was something wrong. There was a vi- what the vibrancy wasn't there. He said and, like, that they were quiet. This is a real nerdy press box thing, but we're sitting there with our binoculars watching the warm-ups because you're up there and you're watching and all that. And Normally there's one voice in the huddle before they leave the pitch. This is so nitpicky, right? But like, O'Mahony, Sexton, Best all spoke. Normally they leave as a little group. They left Earls, Carberry, Sexton left individually. There was, and, and Schmidt said, he goes, there was a couple of things that just weren't right there in the whole mix. And um, then they said, OK, so if you can't get over the gain line, if you can't dominate, if, you, if you're getting smashed backwards, you've got to go to the air which is very, very predictable again from Ireland. What they do is but they do it so well. But every time they went to the air and they went for the kick chase, there was a wall. There was three English every jerseys time. blocking the yeah. way. And, and they were too polite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is, so they we couldn't get to that ball. So then you're like, okay, so how do you... Then he, Conor Murray looked like he was having a really bad game then because he had to change the way he kicked. So the two things that Ireland are bankers on are keeping the ball and going through the phases wasn't working. Going up into the air wasn't working. And then... That's it. That's, there was nothing else. There was nowhere else to go. And that's why they looked like they were clueless. Then you can add two more things on top of all this. Everything that could go wrong the day that did go wrong the day. Um, they re- England really did their homework on a revamped Irish back three with a fullback who hadn't played there in four years and whose positional sense was rusty. The amount of times that English kickers found grass was quite extraordinary. Now, all this, as Gab would say, is predicated on England winning the collisions. Because once you win the collisions, then you've got, you've got better kicking options. You're getting the ball in the front foot. Whereas if you're not winning the collisions, you're getting the ball in the back foot. I mean, the amount of times Johnny Sexton was rushed compared to Owen Farrell, who like, was, could have worn a top hat and tails. He just cruised through the game, just complete armchair right and absolutely bossed the game. And the, Ireland get ahead, 
but the first time the match, the only time the match through the pack, engineering a try by going to the corner, through Ill- English ill-discipline and Tom Curry being off the pitch and should have been followed by Maro Toji. Officials had a bad game, that respect, but leaving that aside, Ireland get in front and England put in three kicks, all fine grass, and Robbie Henshaw, and they were from three different players, from Owen Farrell, Henry Slade and Elliot Daly, and the, eventually... The dam cracks. The first one is retrieved by Henshaw, booted back down the pitch with his right foot. He slices the second one with his left foot, gives them an attacking line out. It goes in behind Jacob Stockdale. Robbie Henshaw's cl- slow to cover cross. Now makes the, Jack Noel makes the hit on Stockdale. And that was really deflating because Ireland had gone in front and we said, okay, all's right with the world again. We know how to do this. Ireland have not had to come from behind to win a match since Argentina in 2014. They're a very good front-running team, like a well-oiled machine when they're on top. But they are, it is quite a prescriptive style of rugby. Everybody knows their jobs for sure, but playing catch-up, they then became a little bit rattled, I thought. Human beings, as Joe yeah, said. Yeah, exactly. Human, yeah, human beings, beings. That, that, that didn't deal very well with being the number one team in this part of the world. And it was funny, whether Keith Earls was targeted or not, mm. he was taken out of the game by Curry and then Atoje finished him off and he battled it on to half-time. But really Henshaw really needed someone with 50, 60 plus caps in the backfield whispering in his ear and instead he had Jordan Larmer and Jacob Stockdale yeah. who are superstars yeah. of the future but yeah. who are young, who are kids when it comes to actually that. So England figured that one out. They go, let's take the most experienced guy in the backfield out of it. Whether they did it on, uh, consciously or subconsciously, they did they it. They got two, three well, or four tries from kicks as well. You know what I mean? Their kicking game, finding grass, actually yielded two of their four I tries. I wonder, does Henshaw go to 12 now straight away and you abandon that yeah. and Carney comes back to fullback? We'll have to talk about that because yeah, what second. happens next. That's, that's very interesting. One thing. You're right. Obviously, Itoji should have gone as well. Yep. Afterwards, it seems to me that, that after almost every Ireland game, the penalty count is... Hugely, you know, whatever it was, was it was it five one six one or something? something no, it was, like was eight four, I think, in eight the end. Four, against something England. like that. But but it's always we always have less penalties than the mm. other team, and yeah. and that's this is touted as a sign of great discipline, Absolutely. and and it's a fa- and and it's portrayed, and it is of course it, 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 is. it is a positive. It is. But if the battleground is bullying, what Atosia did there was bullying. What Curry did was bullying. They were they were bullying. Now. It was colouring outside the lines. Curry went, walked for it. Itoji should have walked for it, absolutely. But is it is it such a great thing to be the best behaved boys in the class? Uh, this is like revisionism. Mal. Whenever, no, 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 let me finish. Uh, when, when we lose, it's, yeah, we're too polite. <laughs> and then when we win, the discipline is hailed as a sign of greatness. Generally, by and large, you want to keep your penalty counts down really low. It's a really important factor in the game today. If, the, if, the, if the, there's a new drive by the officials for the referees and touch judges to be more decisive and not refer to TMOs so much and to reduce the TMOs influence. I'm not sure in this evidence that's necessarily going to work because clearly the TMO said, should have said to Garces you really need to look at this Atoje one again he, he did, took his eye off the ball went to airborne, led with his knee that's a yellow card. It's almost not dissimilar to what James Lowe did for Leinster not so long ago and got a red card for he, got, he went higher so. Yeah but do you know what I mean yeah. it's definitely worth the yellow. But that's not, that's not why Ireland lost the game. You know what I mean? That's not why Ireland got it. The other thing as well that struck me I'd be interested to see what Gavin thought about this. Looking at it again yesterday Gav. Ireland then get back into the game at 17-13 when they've no right to be nearing the air. Gary Ringrose makes that great read on Owen Farrell. One of the few that's one of Ireland's eight dominant tackles yeah. and the most important of the eight. 70 metres down the pitch. Yeah. Get a penalty. Get back to within four. The crowd who were very sombre late into their seats you know, they were as... They, the home crowd's performance didn't deserve a home win, put it that way. Um, we get back to 17-13, and we've got two scrums in our own half, sorry, Ireland half, and both times they try to run the ball across the pitch. 
And the one time in the game where you've got a free kick into open space at the back is off a scrum. It's just impossible for opposition teams to defend it. And I was just very surprised that Johnny didn't kick on and get the crowd really into the game then, play a bit of territory. And said they play in their own half. Gary Reynolds gets turned over. Scrum England. Slade cut out pass. Fractionally forward, maybe not. Johnny may kick ahead. Uh, Slade try, game over. It was it was Schmidt. First thing he said was yeah, and he said it across all platforms. He went straight on TV afterwards because yeah, we were bullied. On, and then he came in. He was like, I've never seen this so dominated and all this. So that's fine. He he, he covered that one. Did he say something about trying to overplay their hand or something? Yeah, yeah. But he also he then he turned around. And he was like, if we got the penalties, we should, so we was put to him going, okay, let's say you got all the penalties for England blocking and for England slowing Ireland ball down. It would have made a difference. And he had to come back and goes, no, I'm not saying that. So he goes, we would have had double the amount of penalties, but it wouldn't have made a difference. So all the things we're saying that didn't work for Ireland, if Ireland's game plan had gone to plan and they had got that little bit more in, he was, and he did, he referenced to Gary Ringrose moment. He goes, that was a pivotal moment. They still got three points out of it. Mm. So it was the first time where Schmidt's reasoning, although he was straight up and said, look, fair play, they played us, they're better than us and all that. But his reasoning for the things that went wrong still didn't stack up to Ireland winning the game. It was the first time I've ever heard him like that. So... In, we're sitting here watching this saying that's the best Ireland team that's the best England team that everyone has and England were better um, we didn't we, everyone was really wrong with this like, we have to get used to being favourites we have to get used to walking around with that that was wrong what we all everyone kind of was going on banging on about last week fact of the matter is England finally got the team that they wanted onto the pitch they got Billy Von Apollo onto the pitch his brother Mako was from another planet mm-hmm. 31 tackles by yeah. a loose head prop as yeah. is a world record has yeah. to be uh, Itoje was brilliant Cruz was brilliant Mano Tuilagi is only getting going and that was another thing that Eddie Jones said afterwards he goes by the way like we're only we're, like, we're on day we're on month one of our attacking of how we're going to attack we're only getting going so for all the things that Ireland will get better and improve and all that England are only starting now. This is them just on the ladder up in, in a really important year and Ireland have a second row crisis as well. Jerry, you were making the point before that Ireland do have a tendency to start campaigns slowly. Is yeah. this the kind of, is this a, a thread that we can grasp at? It's a thread that Joe Schmidt ha- readily agreed to, you know. This is a real concern for him and it's a particular concern for the World Cup given the opening pool game is against Scotland which is going to go a long way to deciding both countries' fate in the tournament. Um, although either way there's no avoiding the All Blacks or South Africa in the quarterfinals which also makes it one of the toughest quarterfinal draws Ireland have ever had. Um, and they can't afford to start a tournament badly again and it has become a little bit of an issue. That's really four sluggish starts in a row in the Six Nations. I thought that it would be more like Chicago, that you'd see England come into town, that would focus the minds. You know, they have started autumn windows very well. It always does. England always does focus the minds. Normally does, years. yes. Yeah, and that, that whole thing about Ireland not starting well first up and he actually went back through the evidence of Argentina all the way back and it was Scotland two seasons yep. ago. Um, where I can't believe he mentioned the bus again after this game, but yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, mentioned it again. Um, so yeah, it, it's a so major, pro- it's a major problem, but it's a major problem he's known about for three years. You know, so like he said it, we didn't get off the bus. And actually, I think with the phraseology meaning that they were never really got started oh, as well. He mentioned the bus and he mentioned Scotland in the same sentence. It's a bus thing. <laughs> Another thing that um, would say Schmidt was having a go at his players. He didn't think that they were in the right mindset, but Sexton Henshaw at fullback was a kind of an un-Joe Schmidt-like selection because it seemed like a risk. We Most people seem to agree it didn't come off. Do you think he perseveres with it now or is that the experiment over? I, I don't know because... Oh, it's a good question. He, I'll ask him. It was... I... Like, if you were... I watched the Leinster Scarlets game the week before you could understand it because Carney didn't play well and Carney hasn't been fit and Carney didn't 
didn't play for Leinster in January, you know, which is all these key moments and he wasn't in Portugal. And Henshaw has been quietly saying, oh, yeah, I am a fullback for a long, long time. And it's square peg, round hole at the inside centre. Bundiaki's going good. So it all led towards, yeah, look, this is a good thing. You might bring our attacking dimension to another level. But I think, like, Conor Murray is, is off colour. Sexton, his passing, we haven't seen it as bad for a while, Nola, but it's not the back's fault. Mm. This is not Robbie Henshaw's fault. This is to do with the front five getting destroyed. Ooh, it's like, went a bit deeper than that, though. I know everything's predicated on collisions, but, like, Conor Murray had passes to the ground, Johnny Sexton had passed to the ground, Bundyaki had passed to the ground. Yeah. Even Tyke Furlong and James Ryan got a tip on mixed up. You know what I mean? There, were, there was another stat I saw, which I've never seen before, which was bad passes. So right. what, <laughs> I saw it was a bad pass. And Ireland had 15 to England's five. I've never, brought, see, I've never seen Sexton's distribution so bad. But even, even that one time when they decided they'd go wide, right to left off that scrum at 17-13, they bring Henshaw into the line and... and Gary Reynolds, who was one of Ireland's better players, the pass is just too high and Henshaw has to reach above his head. And by the time he pulls it down to move it on to Jacob Stockdale, Henry Slade makes a really good read, gives him a, a mighty dunt, ball goes forward to Stockdale, he can't pick it up and England are back in the attack again. And it's just, I just, Ireland's handing, it, it, they were rattling lots of ways, but on the Henshaw one, his positional play was definitely flawed. And he's not as experienced at, at Rob Carney. Rob Carney's brilliant in his own 22. Mm. It's in his absence, a bit like Dev Toner at line at time, restart time. You see when Rob Carney's not there, how well he patrols that 22. There's just no way an opposing team finds that much grass. It, it is funny. I was, I was thinking that watching it, that, that for, for, for people who maybe only watch the Six Nations or something like that, or, or, or a wee bit of Heineken Cup, they, like, like what I, I do, I, I watch a, a bit of rugby, but not a massive amount of rugby. Uh, it's only when a fullback is getting pulled around the place mm. and the other team is co- totally taking it advantage never gets of it. Caught exactly. Ever. And I don't hardly ever concede an attacking line at the opposition twenty two unless it's from a penalty to the opposition because Rob patrols the back three field so well. So does this mean that, that we he hasn't scored a try in a very, very long time and his contribution in the opposition twenty two is not nearly as effective. Mm. And when he missed start missing tackles like he did against Scarlets and he was rusty Joe Schmidt was entitled to go somewhere else. Now, normally Joe Schmidt gets selections right. This was a bit wild and wacky by his standards, and it didn't work. Now, what does he do? Does he stick or twist? All these t- passes. A very interesting one for him. But again, going back to all, all the passing stuff and all that, like when there's just white everywhere, when you're about to throw your, your normal pass, and you go, okay, I'll throw my other. Like, it's like split second stuff, Murray, Sexton, even in midfield. You're going, okay, I'm going to throw this pass or that pass. And the, both those options are gone because there's just white everywhere. They, they block it and they're coming up and around through midfield. So that's why, again, I, I keep coming back to it. It was up front. A Dev Toner, um, and a, he's gone now, probably. So CJ Stander got smashed open. And it looks like um, via tweets from his family members that he that he's had a bad... He's brother-in-law, broken, broken, broken eye. Um, he's, an Olympic, he's an Olympic swimmer, by the way. Yeah. But yeah, a fractured, fractured eye cheekbone, socket. Fractured cheekbone. Double fracture in his cheekbone and eye socket. And, he played for and he, that was in about five I, minutes into the I game. Th- I thought it was, Gavin, because I looked and he got hit smack in the face. By Curry. Yeah, early on. And again soon after by Vunapolo. So I think he did play most of that hour on the pitch. It would explain only 11 carries and only 6 metres, or it would go partially explain it anyway, although he still put in a big tackle count, as Josh van der Fleer and a few others. Were like the big shifts put in by a lot of players. Van der Flyer's a funny one because he had a good game by van der Flyer. His numbers are excellent. Mm. and he, like, But Ireland won nothing on the ground. No. They won no English ball on the ground. And O'Mahony wasn't doing it. Van der Flyer wasn't doing it. And they are your kind of six and a half, seven and a half. They're your, they're your open sides. 
they weren't getting over the ball and when Ireland teams don't get over the ball they don't have a chance and that was what Levy did a lot of that last year Sean O'Brien has been doing it for his entire career so I think, I think Sean got, O'Brien comes back in one way or the other whether it's eight or seven yeah I think I think he's I think eight has proven a mistake for O'Brien and Levy before they've mm-hmm. just struggled at the base of the scrum so Conan's <laughs> Conan's got a real chance here now yeah he has yeah, he into, has. The, into the stocks we go because second row it's all the Connick second rows yeah, are it's all Alton Delan or Quinn Rue to partner um, James Ryan that's a bit of a drop now in standards from what we've been expected in the second row I was disappointed Artist set piece now is no longer the foundation stone has no. been Dev Toner Henderson how badly injured is he Ty Byrne how badly injured is he all of a sudden there's a major problem there yeah there is yeah it's extraordinary that's the thing we were saying last week about going if one position gets targeted by Ireland it's the ghost of 2015 again like are we or can we cope with it Like so again it's happened now we've just lost three of our second round so I don't think oh I think he will restrict himself to the enforced changes because mm. there are going to be enough of them he might conceivably stick with Robbie Henshaw at fullback he just might I don't know I have a feeling he'll probably go back to Rob Carney and then he's got a tough call it's a tough call it's a hard hard one to read really isn't it and then like Shane Horgan's of the view that Henshaw's your best 12 play him at 12 Bundyaki out Bundy ran too largely pass poorly blah 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 fair enough yeah I disagree slightly I go more with Roger's view that Bundyaki was a regular in the Grand Slam Regular throughout the November window was outstanding against the All Blacks, outstanding against England last year. Scotland suits him. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, I, is Ring Rose okay because he took a few bits. Yeah, he took a bang as well. Didn't if he? you lose him again, then like Scotland have a real chance. If yeah. just all the lads we've just gone through there, if if it goes back down to that team, it things change. No, Scotland led initially for three tries in the last ten minutes, but that's because it was don't, over. They've already had their eyes on mm. us. Gregor Townsend was emptying his bench with twenty minutes to go. They're on a roll. Murrayfield's become a little bit of a fortress for them. This is a, a very interesting time, a different time, kind of time we weren't expecting now. For the so Irish funny team. how the narrative changes so quickly. So quickly. And it really That's did. Once England come well, and beat you that badly. Let's just examine that a tiny bit. Like, yeah. like I, know it's, I know these things are impossible to gauge, but can't can we work out how much of a factor, if at all, overconfidence was? They, may, maybe not even their overconfidence, the, the nation's overconfidence, all that sort of stuff. You know, the, well, the, well, the bookmakers, uh, as you said, you know, bullshit signs all around the city for starters. <laughs> exactly, like, what was that yeah. all about? That was embarrassing walking down Baggage Street watching the passport office pop up crap. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? That's no, real. Like, like, addiction's yeah. real. You know what I mean? And this, these, you see exactly. this. That made me kind of made my ter- stomach turn watching that. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like, is that completely detached? No, that's not who we are. Happen. That's not who we are. We're not that arrogant. Like, people were still, like, again, the media narrative was like, we need to get used to being favourites and mm. it's part of it and look, look, there's all the evidence and all But most people you talk to were like going, oh, yeah, still England. Yeah, people know, who yeah. know their rugby yeah. were still like going, like it's England, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, let's, let's, people were a bit worried and it came to pass. Also, I think they were going to forget Twickenham when we humiliated them on St. Patrick's Day. That's a big Day. thing. That's a big thing. They, I mean, like, revenge is the most powerful spur Absolutely. mentally and emotionally. Pendulum swings in, in sport, yeah. you know? And, like, you see it in the Heineken Cup week to week, you know, the back-to-back games in yeah. the December. You see it when... Uh, the All Blacks handsomely beat the Lions at the first test and Warren Gatling comes out straight after and say, we can overturn 15 points in a week or 16 points a week, no bother. And he's right, you can do. That's the nature of rugby in particular when you've got revenge as a motive. And I'd say they spend a lot of time in Portugal reminding themselves of the Irish St. Patrick's Day coronation party in Twickenham on that bitterly cold day. And I'd, I'd They were humiliated. They were humiliated. Several times by Ireland in recent years. Yes, and also their provinces have been getting it. Or they've been getting it in the neck from at club level from their provinces. They've also been reading continuously about what a wonderful Irish side they are and second in the world and beating the All Blacks they had every motivation going in the world they really did come into that game and it showed it showed in their start they showed how quickly they took that line out threw that ball over the top to Manu Tulagi running hard at an Irish defence and I don't know I mean when you can see the try at home in the first two minutes that jolts you mentally I'd say for the rest of the game a bit as well doesn't it? 
England are looking like again. It, 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 England look like the second best team in the world now. So they do. They really did. And I was waiting for somebody to say that phrase. Yeah, the, <laughs> South Africa are looking at this because the way it all pans out, it looks like Ireland will play South Africa in a World Cup quarterfinal. I know I'm leaping into the the big the the, the, the whole thing is we, that this team goes where no Irish team has gone before, and that by England is the blueprint mm. for South Africa. Same thing. Same. They're bigger, so they'll do the same thing. So how do you solve it? Joe Schmidt ha- didn't know how to solve it afterwards the game there. He goes, yeah, we need to... So yeah, Sean O'Brien or Dan Levy. So Josh Fadler doesn't really deserve to get dropped, but he does. Um, everyone needs to perform. Rory Best needs to nail his lineouts in his own 22, which is a slight problem. Um, Conor Murray is not the Conor Murray that we was the best scrum half in the world. I think that'll come right as long as the injury isn't serious. So there's all little things like that. But what's clear is we need all our players on the pitch. And that's that's, and we're not going to have them for the next while now because the attrition of this sport. What what happened? Go on, yeah. We're, so we turn our eyes now to Murrayfield yeah. on on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, two fifteen on Saturday for anybody wait, waiting to tune in. Will Scotland have learned anything from this? And do Scotland even have the artillery to play the kind of game that England? Not played? really. They play a different brand of game. They um, they play a. They play a game actually that says we can't physically out bully big sides, therefore we have to outsmart them, and they do it by giving largely by giving Finn Russell license to play complete heads up rugby. So it is that they get a turnover ball outside the twenty-two, and they're out. They don't have the numbers to take on um, the Italian defence, but he sees Blake, Blair Kinghorn is on the opposite wing and just puts in a beautiful cross kick that just in his path for him to run into, not unlike his pass from last season into Hugh Evans against England Twickenham, and I think uh, he had another kick through for Stuart Hogg try. He was a creative force in the other two in two of the other tries with his passing game, his offloading game, and his running game. So. You stop Finn Russell and you have a great chance of stopping Scotland. You get at him and you prevent him being the influence he has. But if he gets any kind of front football, they play with a lot more flair now. This is the most interesting Scottish time I, side I can remember since they won the Five Nations. I think Townsend's done a great job with them. And Back in 99. Think, Back in yeah, 99. It's that was, the best yeah. Scottish side since then. Yeah, it is, to yeah. watch. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And uh, they're dangerous. They're very dangerous. They, I mean, that 28-8 game last year in the Aviva Stadium, as Joe Schmidt regularly says, that was more of a one-score game. They left three tries behind, including a two-on-one with Evans and Hogg against Rob Carney, and they just didn't convert. So um, they're dangerous, and they beat, us, they beat us in Murrayfield two years ago. I think, Gav, in terms of the World Cup, what happens between in the next four games is vital for how this team responds. This is a new test. We're going to find out more about them. As Roy Best said afterwards, we're now going to find out whether last Saturday was a bump in the road or something much worse. And it begins next Saturday. They've only a week to get themselves right. They need a big day's training tomorrow particularly. They need to somehow wheel out a really good, well-prepared side and just get the job done. And, you know, the bit of anger you saw between Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton <coughs> five minutes from time, they exchanged their right around at each other. They needed two tries, converted tries, to win the game, which sounded fanciful. And Conor Murray kicked the ball out to give them an English line-out. Johnny Sexton went apoplectic with them inside, slapping his thighs, ranting and raving. shouldn't have been on the pitch. Conor Murray, should have been replaced Conor Murray just waved anyway. him away yeah. and just shouted it back. So I think that's a bit, that a bit of anger is a good thing. I think they need to channel that in some way, in shape or form. If Ireland respond from this and come out and win next Saturday, it won't have been the worst thing in the world. But of course, when sides go on long unbeaten runs and then lose, we saw with England and rugby, I remember my own Arsenal team after 49 games in a row, it, it become, they didn't even win the league later that long year. It's then. a long way down. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different mental, yeah. emotional reaction. Their challenge now is as much mental as it is physical. Look, the, the other thing I say is uh, we we, sh- we shouldn't mention the fact that France were marvellous for <laughs> 40 minutes yes. in Paris and, and then, then Wales just went yeah, you can have the ball and 
that's the problem. There's, there's, there's dark roads ahead. The French might click. Like they, they really did show signs. Of, they were excellent in the first half. Wales, though, just they are going to go. There you go, Ireland. Have the ball all game, and whatever's left of the Ireland squad, they are, they will make three hundred tackles against them. We no have problem. a lot of water to flow under many bridges before we get to that uh, on Paddy's weekend. Uh, thank you very much, lads. Uh, very nervous now for next weekend. Gotta say, very nervous. So if you pick up the Irish Times this morning, Pat, you'll see that I had the day off yesterday. No work, no no report in the newspaper. Lazy clerking. That is not true. That is not what happened. Do you want to tell the people what actually happened? No, people don't care what happened, least of all you. But uh, oh, I find it very funny, actually. Yeah. Uh, six miles outside Oma. Uh, it's not the start of uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. We were six miles outside Oma when the drugs kicked in. No, when my car died died a sad, baleful death on the side of the road in uh, rural Tyrone. And um, I didn't make it to the game. You were only six miles from the stadium. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's your point. Yeah. That I, I could have, and I could have. I definitely could have got a lift there. I'm pretty sure you had a backpack that a laptop could fit in. But uh, yes, my dead old car gave up for in service of the Irish Times and uh, we had to get somebody else to do the game. Anyway, uh, much more importantly, Sean Moran is here, who did make it to his game. Um, you made it to? It's to Breffney Park, to Kingsman Breffney Park. Indeed. In Cavan. In Cavan. Um, which is a. Uh, Welcoming old bowl in the yeah, north end is. of the town. It's a great. Um, I love it as a stadium, actually. There's great history to it, and particularly yeah. for a Kerry Cavan match. Because one of my favourite historical conundrums is, is why the Kerry five in a row in 1933 ended in Breffney Park. Cavan beat them in an All-Ireland semi-final. And I can never find out why Kerry had to go there to or why it was fixed. Basically an away match for them. But that's what well, happened. There used well, to be a well, plaque. Sean, if you can't find that out, yeah. then what chances have the rest of us? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, like yourself, I wouldn't want to um, maybe plead guilty to laziness in this respect <laughs> in terms of the re- actual research I've done <laughs> on us, but there is a plaque somewhere in 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 Breffney saying this is where the Kerry four in a row team kind of bit the dust really? in 1933. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, they Kerry beat Cavan yesterday, 16-13. I I was watching a little of League Sunday last night, and I was thinking, not for the first time, that Shawnee Shea can thank his lucky stars that he came along in the same year that David Clifford did, because uh, he kind of was able to ease his way into intercounty life last year while everybody was looking at, uh, at Clifford. But, my God, he's some, he's yeah. some player. I was thinking the same thing, actually, that he he was kind of overshadowed a bit mm. by, by, by Clifford in their, their rookie year last year. But, uh, yeah, he's a phenomenal talent. Mm. I mean, it's his kicking ability is extraordinary. Who is luckier than Kerry to have uh, Brian Sheehan retire and uh, have this guy come along with a kicking style that is... Yeah. Yeah. Is just as unimpeachable. Yeah, yeah, I know. And he, he didn't miss any of his dead ball mm. kicks. He kicked through points, 10 from 10 from dead balls, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and a couple from play as, uh, as well, you know. So he was uh, he was exceptionally uh, good. And uh, it's funny because I can remember last year he was brought into the, the panel and he's one of the, obviously, the, 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 the endless production line of minors they have mm. with all their winning medals. But uh, maybe he's kind of a chasing enough ex- experience in Croke Park mm. last year. Um, when Dublin beat them well, but uh, he's he is a phenomenal talent. You know, he 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 and you know his peers are really the the answer to the you know the the, the charge that you know 
Dublin are going to win all Ireland's indefinitely. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, that the, the Kerry will be coming. And uh, yesterday was, you know, it's hard to say it was, it was impressive. It was a run of the mill league match. Cavan impressed me in the first half. You know, they, they really seemed to uh, be able to put together some good attacking moves and they were, were easily the better team. Um, but they just ran out of puff in the second half and, and Kerry kind of... They only scored, on them. what, they scored two, two frees in the second half. Two points. Yeah. Well, one, one free, one from play. Right. Uh, and, and they were... Uh, and they were just... Uh, you could see they were tired, like all those kind of... those. Flashy, dynamic uh, counterattacks they had in the first half were beginning to labour around the centre field area, and two of their best transitioning players, Kieran Brady and Darren McVitie, both went off injured. So you know that didn't help them either. Also, the wind was pretty significant, uh, and they were playing into that. So like a combination of all this stuff, and and, and Kerry arrived uh, languidly, taking the lead for the first time in the 68th minute, and, and then won one by three in the in the end. So. Uh, it's a good start for for Peter Kane when you think of it. You know, two out of two, and uh, they've got Dublin coming next next weekend. You seem to make a dark hint about those injuries that Cavan. Ah, no, up. the Cavan people were certainly making uh, uh, more than hints uh, about it, uh, but they they certainly got physical treatment in the in, in the second half. But uh, it's, I, it would be unfair to say that uh, they deliberately set out to injure them, but it was fairly. Uh, it was it was fairly vigorous and tough around the the middle of the, the field, and unfortunately the two of them uh, came off the the worst in, in various parts of it. So as you said, Peter Keane, two games in, uh, two wins. Can you pick out a style of play that he is settling on with Kerry? It's not overly swashbuckling. It's not overly defensive. Well, be- it was pretty defensive in the first half yesterday. Now he kind of denied this afterwards and said, "No, that was just the." the, the pressure of the way the game was going but they they were flooding back as soon as they, they lost the ball up, up front and uh, it meant that they couldn't really um, establish when, when they managed to gain possession again they didn't really have the presences up up front to, to turn it into uh, into account in in the first half and they kind of kept at it but they were they were squeezing more and more in the in the second half and and Cavan weren't able to Get out to play out from the back as easily as they had done in in the first half. So uh, I'd say it's early days yet, because you know with Sigerson and that going on, and he made made this point afterwards that you know he doesn't really know what his selection is from week to week, depending on who gets knocked around in a, in a Sigerson match. Yeah, they kind of settle out, check in on a sort of Friday lunchtime and go right. Yeah. Where are we? Kind of thing. He says that, he and, says, mo- and most teams are like that at the minute. He says like he won't know. Uh, he wouldn't know until last night. What the what the bill was for yesterday's match, and yeah. then you have the midweek matches, and he'll get calls on Wednesday or so, telling him who's okay and who isn't. So uh, it is. It's a it's a very busy, frantic time of the year. And oddly, when you look around the the say Division One, especially Kerry are actually a bit harder hit, just because of purely the age profile yeah. of of their team, because they're bringing all these minors through. All yeah. these most of these lads are in college. Now they're in college in sort of Cork and, and Tralee, so they're they're all reasonably local. There's not many of them in in Dublin, I think. But uh, the the Sigerson thing kind of hits them a little harder than. More like if you take Monaghan or Mayo or Dublin, even their age profile tends towards the sort of later twenties. Sure. Yeah, so, so right. it, it is a bit of a bigger deal for them just to, just yeah. in this, these particular. Weeks. Anyone fast tracking 
you know, five All Ireland winning minor teams yes. is going to be hit by Sigerson commitments. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, it's 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 an issue, I suppose, for 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 a, for a lot of managers and also hurling managers have made a lot of, course, of it as well. Yeah. And the Fitzgibbon, same thing. They're so they're playing Dublin on. Yeah, the weekend in yeah. Tralee. In Tralee, Tralee next mm. Saturday. That's right. Yeah, I watched. Yeah, I watched a fair bit of Dublin on on Saturday night. Mm. Uh, like the first half was was you know Galway made a reasonable fist of it yeah. in the first half, but it was um, just when you were kind of thinking right because it was like six five early in the second half, yeah. and you were kind of going right Galway. Let's 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 see. Monaghan did this last week. Come on, let's see what you've got. And it was it it was the the merest press on the accelerator from Dublin just kind of blew them away yeah um, it was more like the, the it was more like the championship or the Ireland semi-final match last yeah. year I mean, Galway were so kind of parsimonious and competitive in last year's league and they're, they're you know unlucky not to beat Dublin in Salt Hill and mm-hmm. and very kind of respectably competitive in the league final but this was like the All-Ireland semi-final where you know they kind of Dublin wore away Mm. at them and they stayed with it for a while and then eventually you know you, you get these uh, it's not just Galway but other teams when Dublin kind of as you say tip the accelerator and suddenly a couple of points fly over in a minute or two and you know a one or two point lead has become three or four and, and, and suddenly and, the match is running away from you and suddenly the keeper can't get a kick out of the way yeah. and that was like that was a real feature of it that Manus Brannock was putting down the ball and looking out and when he couldn't hit his first option mm. Then you could see, like, it almost seemed like the Dubs really just kind of pushed and pushed yeah. and pushed. And there, actually, the the air coverage on Saturday night is, is very good. They have a camera behind the goals for when it, when a keeper is taking a kick out. And it's funny with him with the keepers taking the kick outs from the twenty now. Um, this the the sky view of it. You are looking at it going, man. I don't know if I'd like to be a keeper. Like it is, it the pickings are really slim unless your team is really moving, really on it, and they're really giving you options. Brannock was putting down the ball, and if if the first person he looked at wasn't on, then he was going, "Oh, I've got to kick this out." And Brian Fenton is out there, and and Fenton just started mopping up, and that was what really there was that sort of ten minute period early in the second half where they just kept piling forward, yeah. Mannion, Costello, Rock. So it's a psychological thing. It's like. Yeah blood in the water once mm. once a keeper has to s- stop his run up because he That's can't it. see anything well then like they're all over the opposition you know, you're, near, you're nearly as well kicking it out over the side yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know That's right. playing for position kind of yeah, thing but it was I mean it was kind of as you were kind of saying business as usual really for, for, for Dublin they, they kind of made that they kind of broke the resistance and then and, and then pulled yeah, it Yeah, and they did it with, with plenty of new faces as well. You know, it wasn't like they, you know, just flooded everybody, all the old heads mm. back in to, to settle the, the, the ship. You know, Sean Bugler played uh, like Ryan Basquiat. Ryan was very li- lively again. He tends to do that though, Jim Gavin. I mean, mm. he, he'll, he'll, people talk about the O'Byrne Cup and the, you know, the great, uh, the great auditions for Broadway that, 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 that that's become over the last co- couple of years. But he tends to Give eight or nine of them a run in the, in the league. Uh, now, not all of them stay mm. within view then as the season pushes on, but um, a number of those those fellows will get game time and you know we'll see how they go. I mean, there's the kind of the poster boys for this: Niall Scully and Brian Howard, who came through a Barn Cup campaigns, but 
they were kind of already mapped, really. But mm. their arrival as, as as senior players. It's an interesting thing, actually, that thing in January where where Dublin auditioned for the yes. for, for for the league, and uh, and you're seeing the some of the people coming through from that. I know we can give too much. Um, stead to games at this time of year Jim Gavin's been going on about how his team are lacking in training but on Saturday night you did wonder if Galway had some psychological scares from previous experiences at the hands of the dubs so next Saturday in Tralee is it important for Kerry to not pick up more scares if you like at the hands of dubs because if the Dublin if Dublin came down and had a kind of a perfunctory win where they stayed in it and then just like they did against Galway put the foot in the accelerator is that bad for Peter Keane and a young team? I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Kerry would love to win this and turn them over. It's not, it's not quite the same sense of, of, uh, of climax about it that there was two years ago mm. in the same fixture when Dublin had that uh, unbeaten run that was threatening yeah. Kerry's unbeaten it was run from very the thirties. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kerry came so close to winning that. Yeah. I mean, Paul Mannion had to pull out a score deep in injury time to level it. Um, and I take your point, Pat, but I don't think the psychological thing applies quite as much to Kerry because if you look back at it over the over over, over the years, Kerry do beat Dublin in the in the league. I mean that that unbeaten run Dublin had was bookended by defeats by Kerry, uh, and I don't. Th- I think sometimes because Dublin win the league and they win the championship, we can assume too much of a of a, of a parallel between. The competitions. I mean, back in 2016, Dublin annihilated Kerry in the league final, and he said, "Oh, like you know, give them the All Ireland now and all the rest of it." But I mean, most people knew that in a few months' time, in August, when the All Ireland semi final came around, this was still going to be a big, big match, mm. as it turned out to be. And Dublin won it just about in the end. A year later, uh, Kerry ended the unbeaten run it didn't matter. in the league final. Yeah. And then a couple of months later, Mayo were beating them in the in the championship. Routing. So so it's not. Um, I, I think Pat's point is, is well made in the sense that I've I've always believed that psychological issues can arise and be settled during league campaigns. But in the case of Kerry and and, and Dublin, um, I wouldn't be so sure. I'd say Peter Kane wants a, a good performance from them, ideally uh, a result. But he knows. That that's not what he's going to be judged on. When I was at that game two years ago, uh, the game threw in at seven o'clock at night, and uh, I because the, the, Tralee has the tiniest press box, maybe in in world sport. Uh, I got there at four o'clock, uh, three hours. Car was the running well in those days. Indeed, it was. I went on the train, um, but uh, I got there at four o'clock to uh, to sort of get in and and, and plant my flag, and. Uh, there were about 200 people standing outside waiting on the gates to open at four o'clock and the gates weren't open until half five. So I would imagine there'll be a little bit of that now next Saturday. That's, um, it will be, uh, it'll certainly be the tie of the weekend. I think it's on TV, it's on RTE as well. It's uh, the first league football game on RTE uh, in however many years. Yeah. So. so that will be next weekend's work. Uh, thank you, Sean. Uh, thank you to Gavin and Jerry who were in earlier uh, opining over the rugby. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Matt. Cheers to Declan and Jenny behind the desk and we will talk to everybody again next week.